Oh, good to see you guys um, tonight. John 6, um, 6, and we're going to start at 36. So John 6, 36, if you have your Bibles, please get there. Um, what was that? Oh, oh. John 6, 36. Um, last week was awesome. If you guys weren't here, um, feel free to check out, what is it, Surfing the Word? Um, it's cool. We're able to do a podcast here, um, and we just throw it up there. Just on, if you have an iPhone, just check out Surfing the Word. Listen to David's word from last week. It was really encouraging, awesome. Um, I'm going to touch a little bit on it just to grab some context and kind of regain our footing as we push forward. But as a little disclaimer, um, I'm a little shot, pretty tired and sunburnt. It's been a long week and a half of work for me. Um, not to make an excuse, but I just feel kind of just tired and over it. So if I seem a little out of it, I apologize. Um, but we're just going to be relying on the Holy Spirit to, to feed. Um, John 6, 36. Let's pray um, and ask the Lord to fill this place with his spirit. Um, I need it and you guys need it as well. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word. Oh. Lord, the only thing we need tonight is you. We need encouragement. We need reassurance. We need your presence. We need you, Jesus. The only reason we should be showing up here is for you. We love you, Father. Thank you so much for your word and that it is inerrant. It is eternal. It is without fault. So, Father, I pray that you would use me, use my lips, use my mouth to honor you, Father, and to just encourage with my words and to love with my words how you would, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for this night. Thank you for these people making it out here after what I'm sure was a long and hot couple of days, um, but we love you, Father, and we just ask that you would be with us tonight in your name, amen. Sweet. So tonight's going to be a little different. Um, we're going to go over four verses, 36 to 40. I might trek on a little further, but my plan tonight is to get through those four verses, and then um, I was on the way over here, it was one of those things you always hear pastors say, I was like, I had a plan, and two hours before, the Lord just changed it, and I, I always, my dad's a pastor, you, uh, you guys are going to hear about it in a little bit, but I always hear that, I'm like, come on, you prepped for that, like, it didn't turn out that good just by winging it, like, you prepped for that, and it's like, no, I'm sure it's a million times happened to Steve and David and all the guys, but um, I felt like the Lord put it on my heart to just share my testimony with you guys, um, and it is pertaining to the text um, in a way that it really hit home with me and it, it really touched my heart. And I feel like the Lord just put just an encouragement on my heart to hopefully encourage you guys on just what the Lord's done um, over the course of my life and how what we're going to be reading is very applicable to us um, within the context of what's happening here. Amen. Oh, Blenda's wiping the shield. I thought she was waving at me. <laughs> oh my goodness, guys. John 6, 36. Let's get into it. <clears throat> but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. So first thing, there's a but there. We need to go back in time. Uh, it's not very far, verse 35. So we're looking for, okay, why is the Lord saying but to these people? Um, after, or before 36 came 35, and he says to them, this was after 
Um, they're basically asking for a miracle. Say, hey, our fathers gave us manna from heaven. Like, what will you do? Their genius idea of like, well, Lord, we need a sign to believe in you. I was thinking manna. They were after, <laughs> they were following Jesus. Not all of them, but the vast majority of the multitude was just following Jesus because of what he was doing for them. He had, in this chapter previously, fed the 5,000. And so they've been filled. They're being healed. They're full. And they're just kind of going on the easy train, following the Lord. And so basically Jesus is like talking to them and, well, hey, we're not going to believe you until you give us a sign. I don't know. Here's, how about some manna? We're hungry again. And basically goes to 35 um, and says, hey, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. And I don't want to go full into last week. Um, please go check out what David taught. It was awesome. Super encouraging. But it goes to 36, and Jesus, as he does when he's speaking with anybody, just cuts straight to the heart, straight to the crux of the matter, what, what's going on in here. Jesus just sees through all of it and goes, let's get to it. So 36, and he says, but I said to you that you should, um, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Basically calling them out like, hey, like, they wanted to prop him up in a position of power. They wanted to get this thing rolling because of what he was doing for them. But he's saying, hey, you see me and yet you don't believe. This is just, this is basically just a physical satisfaction for you guys. It's not taking place the way that my father intended, the way I intend. Like there's something else you need. There's something else going on here. I kind of think back to when before he's feeding the 5,000 and he says, the Bible says he has compassion on them. And the first thing that he did was what he taught them. Jesus understood for these guys and for us, our first need, though we do have physical needs, um, as far as our hunger and our thirst and uh, roofs over our heads and things like that, Jesus is after what we need spiritually. So he's just cutting to it. And he says, hey, you've seen me and yet you don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. A couple really cool things I wanted to point out here. And there's, you could go so deep and so in detail. And I kind of want to, I want to hit on a couple things, but I, I want to move along and just kind of share with you guys what the Lord was sharing with me. But it was cool to see that all the ones that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will no, by no means cast out. One, we don't stumble upon God. I don't know if you've heard that, like, well, I was just looking and I found God. I found salvation and I made it happen and I was seeking out. Jesus is saying here, like, without my Father leading you to me, you, wouldn't have, you would not have come to me on your own. And I thought that was cool. The Father is preparing hearts, preparing individuals, and then the Lord is receiving them in. When you guys got saved, when I got saved, it wasn't because I mustered up enough willpower to earn my righteousness or do something good to get in the right spot with God because that's what I knew I needed internally. The Lord, the Father, had been preparing my heart, preparing your heart, leading things up so that when Jesus revealed himself to us and we had that aha moment and it, it pricked our hearts and it said, Father, we went through the Beatitudes, oh, I'm broken in spirit. That's when the Father introduces, boom, Jesus. And we go, yes, and accept him. So just a cool little thing there. The Father is bringing people to Jesus. Um, so one, we have, it's not your leading, it's the Father's leading. Um, and secondly, 
Those who come to him will by no means cast out their security in Jesus. I was really encouraged by that, and that's kind of why I wanted to, to share my testimony a little bit. But there's not only our efforts are scratched, it's not us, but when we do are united with the Lord and he receives us into the fold, he will by no means cast us out. We are his. Amen. It's locked in. You could go back and forth with those discussions of, well, you could stray away and da 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 and my heart for tonight is not to get into that. You are his. If you've been brought, if the Father has brought you to the realization that you need a Savior and Jesus has become your Savior, you are his. It's locked in. There's security. Amen? So 37, there is security. He will by no means cast us out. That should be eternally encouraging for us to understand, okay, Lord, no matter what goes down in my life, I know that you won't cast me out. He's faithful, and he can be nothing but faithful because that's in his character. It's who he is. Amen? 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So we know this from reading through the Gospels. Jesus didn't come here with his own agenda. The Father and the Son were not separate in will for humanity. It wasn't different goals. It wasn't different avenues. Jesus came, sent by the Father to do the Father's will. Now we know the Father and the Son are one, so he could do nothing but the Father's will. But just as a caveat to that. It's like, hey, like the things that Jesus is doing, and we're going to see in this next verse. Actually, I'll just read it. This is the will of the Father. So 38, hey, I've not come to do my own will, but the will of the Father. And 39, here is the will of the Father. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. We talked about that again. The Lord is bringing him to, uh, to him and the, who, who he gives to Jesus, he will by no means lose anything. Kind of the context here, or part of the wording there is not, it, it pertains to individuals and people, yes, but it's also like creation and all these other things that are like, if they are his, they are his eternally. Um, so I thought that was cool. I was like, wow, the Lord will lose no one and nothing. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Again, there's security, but I thought it was incredible just knowing that the will of the Father is for to lead individuals to Jesus so that they can put their faith in him and have everlasting life and be secured in Christ. Very simple, and I know as prepping, I was like, these guys mostly are believers. Like, we know these things, and they're solid truths they're great truths but i just want to like drive that home like hey it is the father's will if you're a believer it was the father's will that you come to the saving grace and knowledge of jesus it was the lord's will for your life my life all of our lives to be flipped upside down and to be lights to a broken and dying world amen you don't have to wonder, like, oh, like, am I doing the right thing? This world will throw a million and one things at you, a million and one religions, a million and one ways to do things, and it can become distracting and take you off course, and it can lead you to so much confusion. This is the will of the Father that you would know Jesus and be saved. Amen. It's simple. It locks you in. 
You don't have to wonder, go back and forth, be led astray by false doctrines and strange winds. We can just look at this and say, Lord, I can rest in the fact that your will for my life is to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. I know it's a simple truth. Um, You could get into this um, kind of predestination um, conversation, and I think that's important. Well, all that I'll say on the matter is God gave us free will. Amen. We have free will, the decision to do what we want, but God is also an all-knowing God. He knows who are his from the beginning of time till the end, which there will be none. But God being an all-knowing God, knowing all things, seeing all things, while also allowing us to make that decision based on, okay, Lord, like, do I want this gift or do I not want this gift? The Lord knows who are his. Amen? So I kind of, I was thinking about like, well, do we just dive into all that? I want to leave that there simply. If you have questions about that, because I know that's, that can be kind of a mind bender. I personally don't believe it is. I believe in a God that knows all things. And I also believe that God gave us free will. Amen? And they work cohesively. He's not pushing us in a certain direction necessarily, but the Lord knows who are his and is leading us to Christ and it works together well. If you guys want to talk about that, we can, but my goal for tonight is to kind of leave that there. I believe it can be just as simple as that. Also with a lot of things like this, um, doctrinally, I believe we should know our word and we do need to know these things. There are also things like that my little brain can't wrap around and I just say, Lord, I know this is true and I know this is true. I'm not crazy certain all the time on how it perfectly works out, but I know you're a big God, and I trust you. Amen? And if you guys are having a conversation like that where you're like, oh, that's a hard question. I don't know exactly what to say, you can lead them here. Be like, hey, I know that it's the Father's will for me to be saved. and I know that it's his will for you to be saved, but that's your decision. Amen? Does that make sense? Is everybody on the same page with that? Cool. Well, guys, this was, I think for me, just reading through this and kind of on this topic of um, actually from last week, like, hey, I'm the bread of life who comes down from heaven and you'll never thirst again. You'll never be hungry again. And then this passage about knowing like, hey, like if you are the Lord's, you are his, he will not cast you out. To me, spoke really well to me. Um, That was repetitive. I'm sorry. And I want to share with you guys, and I hope it's encouraging. It's not to make it about me. I just felt like this, like I said, just kind of driving over here, studying, like, Lord, what do I say? What do I do? Do I go through all 71 verses? And I just felt like he just said, like, hey, just share what I've done. Um, And I hope it all ties in nicely. I hope it all makes sense and just relays, like, hey, you are his. Um, But I wanted to share my testimony. Is that okay? Sweet. So... um, Back to day one, um, I don't know if you guys know my parents, I know a lot of you guys do, Jason and Regina Beal, I told my dad I was going to roast him tonight, so he's probably re- listening. Um, they got married, oh no, 92 or 93, um, and had me in 94, and I was born prematurely with what is called gastroschisis, um, so I have two scars on the insides of my arms. Um, two scars on my stomach, and I actually don't have a belly button. I do. It's fake, and I'm not going to show you, so don't ask. 
Um, <laughs> um, you would not believe how many times I get that question. I went to, we'll get to that later. Um, so first day, Jason and Regina Beal, newly married, very young. I think they were 20 and 21 or 21 and 22. I'm pretty sure it was 20 and 21. Mom is 20, dad is 21. They're having their first kid. I was born in Grants Pass, Oregon, and then immediately life-flighted um, to Portland, Oregon, and I think it was an airplane or a chopper. I always say chopper because I think that's cooler. Um, but just imagine these two young parents who are just newly married, getting into ministry, and they had their first kid, and it's like chaos. And doctors are saying, hey, there's a really high chance that he's not going to make it. And so it was a hard thing. Life flighted to Portland. I was ripped out of my mom's arch. She didn't even get to hold me. Ripped out of her arms, taken to OHSA um, over in Portland. I was actually in the Ronald McDonald house over there. If you ever see the little McDonald's um, right in front of the registers, you'll see like the little coin drop right there. I always drop a couple coins in there because that the, that's the place that all those amazing doctors over there just took care of me. So if you ever see those, just, just say for Beal and just throw it in there. Um, premature. Life flighted to Portland. I'm here. Praise God. Um, but the Lord did a miraculous thing. My dad is nervous as any father would, new father would. And um, the Lord just kind of spoke to him. Jeremiah 29:11. Hey, for I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And he said that, that he, the Lord just gave him a direct word over me. And he said, hey, like, don't worry about your son. I have a future and a hope for him, whether he gets taken away and he's with me or whether he gets to be with you. And then he passed out, took a nap. The Lord just gave him a great peace, and he just knocked out. <laughs> Mom was probably stressing out too, but I think she got some rest. Um, fast forward a little bit. Um, my dad was sent out from Applegate uh, Fellowship over in Southern Oregon. John Corson taught that, that church. He was kind of John was sent out from Chuck Smith uh, back in Costa Mesa. I know we just watched the movie. I missed it because I had to work late. But that's kind of the, the roots right there. Excuse me, guys. Get this up here. Um, so basically, John Corson sends out my dad and says, hey, go start a church in Northwest Oregon. Um, you have funds for, I don't know if it was four or six months or whatever it was, but if you don't have a church planted after four months or six months, whatever it was, he said, the funds are cut anyway and you're staying. And so I was like, okay, here we go. So we packed up. At that point, I think all three kids, um, me, my brother Caleb, and my sister Libby, um, and they planted a church over there in Oregon, uh, which started with about 11 people in a living room um, and then grew to over many, many years. Um, the Lord just blessed it. It wasn't just my dad. He's an amazing, gifted teacher and loves the Lord, but the Lord grew that body. It's a few hundred over in some no-name town in Astoria. Uh, and the Lord just blessed that ministry. But grew up in northwest Oregon as a pastor's kid. And when it was little, it was no problems. I didn't really know. I didn't really get the difference as far as me and other kids. I didn't really understand, um, yeah, just the difference in lifestyle. Dad loved the Lord. Mom loved the Lord. We went to church on Sunday, and that's what it was. And I was cool with that because I was small, and I couldn't drive, and I wasn't going anywhere anyways. So I was just with mom and dad going to Sunday school and all that jazz. Um, and then around middle school, things kind of changed. I'm sure any parents in here, you're like, yeah, that's around the time. Those free thinkers start going. 
Um, but I just got around, I remember my first secular song, and just around like a couple rough individuals at this Christian school, which funny enough, were also all pastor's kids. We were just literally just talking about this before the sermon, but um, PKs, I think, are just, they're a different breed. That's what I'm talking about, Austin. Nathan, let's go. Um, it's about to get dark for us, though. Just <laughs> no, but it truly is. It's just different. There were pastor's kids, and they were good guys, and they were like, their dads were awesome in ministry, and they were, all of us went to church together or different churches around the county. Um, but I remember in middle school, I fairly, like got my first taste of like the world at a Christian school. How crazy is that? Um, which was actually more gnarly than the public school because that's where they sent all the gnarly kids because they were like, you need Jesus. And then they just corrupted all of us. But from a young age, um, played a lot of sports, um, baseball, basketball, and football, pretty much, pretty much from like six years old to 19. So 13 years of just athletics during every part of every year, just being busy. Um, and that was a massive part of my life. So I was going to this Christian school and kind of getting this weird influence of like I was being taught the Bible, but I was also surrounded by a bunch of dirtbags um, <laughs> who were slowly forming me into a little dirtbag. And that was kind of, that was still like I had a ton of innocence. I felt like uh, there was a kid that got in trouble for actually oxycodone like at this school. He brought it in. He broke his arm. So the doctors were like, he needs this at 12 years old, 13 years old, wherever it was silly. Um, but he started selling it to all the kids, and I remember, like, I was like, no, like, I'm not doing that, um, but I would, I'll watch all of you guys do it. Uh, so I was just kind of, like, like, dipping my toe into rebellion, just, like, seeing how far I could push it without gearing, like, getting scolding from mom and dad. Middle school passed, and it was a lot of that for all those years, just kind of, like, tasting here and there, like, ooh, like, not drinking, not smoking, anything like that yet, but um, mixed up in pornography at a young age, like 13 or 14 years old, um, secular music, um, started just swearing a lot. I was like, I think most pastor's kids are good at this. Like I could put on the nice little face at home and at church and you would know a thing. I can play the game, baby. But when I was around the boys, it was just a flip. There was like two different people. So that kind of just cultivated and started to grow and started to fester and then by the time I got to high school, I was so over the pastor's kid thing. I was like completely checked out. Um, Dad would be teaching multiple Sundays and I would just be looking at the walls and counting all the stars on the tiles and just like checked out completely. I didn't care what he said. I had heard at home probably a million times. I probably knew the scripture better than all the people in, in the congregation anyway. So what's the point of, what's the point of paying attention? That attitude got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse throughout high school because my goal at the time was to basically say, like, I don't, I no longer want to be this kid, the pastor's kid from the Christian school who came over here who's decent at sports and he knows all the sports people around the county. I was like, ditch the pastor's kid thing. I want nothing to do with that. I want to be Josh Beal, the athlete, the cool guy. Um, Second part didn't work out ever. Um, and so there was this attitude shift, and I got saved really young, and I knew the truth, and I knew what my dad was doing was good and right, and I knew for a fact that it was what 
life at its fullest meant. I, I knew that at a young age, but it didn't matter because I wanted to put on the beautiful little athlete face and just be the guy out of high school. I just wanted to show up and I wanted to be the man. Um, and all along this time, I was straying further and further and further and further away from being kind to my siblings, to talking back to my parents and disrespecting my parents, to um, just like a gnarly pornography addiction and just foul, foul music and all those things that come along with just a rebellious lifestyle. And senior year rolls around and I had been single for so, so long and there was this girl that I really, really, really liked at the time and ended up dating. And that lifestyle and that attitude just festered and finally got to the point of like making a decision to enter into sin physically with this girl who I would say at the time definitely loved her deeply and was so committed and like, oh, I know this is wrong, but I want to do the right thing and I, I'm going to be a good man after this and it doesn't matter that I'm making this decision because I'm going to be committed to this decision and I'm going to do the right thing down the line. Guys, I don't know where you are in your lives. This is mostly for the young adults. Please, please, please trust God's word at his word. Trust God at his word. He is saving you from so much heartbreak, so much marital disturbance, so many ties that the enemy just wants to wrap around your ankles and hold, hold you with for years and years and years. But I just, I knew all that stuff up, up top in my head, but in my flesh, I just said, like, I'm going to do what I want to do. So I made that decision, and I'll tell you guys, that is probably, without a doubt, one of the biggest and lamest decisions I've ever made in my life. That's also another massive area of my life that the Lord's been faithful and he's redeemed. Amen. Um, but had this girlfriend through or, uh, my senior year. Was pretty good athlete. Um, good baseball player. That was probably what I was best at. Football player, basketball player. That was my identity. And so, again, I'm not paying attention at church. I don't care what my dad is saying. I'm there to play sports and get decent grades so that I can get into a Division I school and play ball. That was my life goal. I didn't care anything about ministry. I was absolutely a tyrant at home, um, very sneaky. Like I could, like I said, put on the face, and my parents, to this day, um, they could never catch me in anything. Like I was really, really good at getting away with what I wanted to get away with because I had it down like to perfection. Like when it talks about perfecting sin or practicing sin, that was me at that time. It was just like, I know how to get away with anything I want. So my parents kind of knew and could see in my character that things were changing and things weren't good, but they could never catch me in it. Um, after my senior year, sports are done. Um, I ended up breaking up with that girl. Um, and it's, I know it sounds silly. You're like, oh, boo-hoo, tough. Uh, but in the moment at that time for me was massive because like I had said, I had made that decision, which I knew was wrong, but I was like, hey, I love this girl. Like, I am committed to this girl, and I don't mind getting married out of high school to make this thing right in God's eyes and, like, just be good with it. But we broke up, and it was like I felt all of, like, that painful decision-making, the enemy going, gotcha. Like, you blew it, and you'll never be able to redeem that decision. And it wrecked me. It was heartbreaking. I was super heartbroken um, and just lost, just 
spun out, started drinking really heavily, started smoking a lot of pot that summer. Um, my big break that summer, which actually one of the worst things that ever happened to me and best things that's ever happened to me, is I got to, I went to college to play baseball. I got this tryout. Um, surprised a lot of coaches because um, I was from a small school. Um, surprised a lot of coaches and got a spot on a ball team. Um, and I used heartbreak to, one, fuel my drinking and fuel my, my partying for the summer and also to hit the weight room really hard and get ready for ball. And that's all it was. I wasn't in a spot where I was like, oh, Lord, forgive me. I was like, frick this. <laughs> and then I'm going to do, I'm going to use this to my advantage. So I went um, to college and I played ball. And guys, when I tell you that that was the worst year of my life, that is an understatement. I finally had my freedom and my independence away from home. There was no more dad playing guitar at 7.30 in the morning on a weekend, practicing worship. There was no more, hey, we're going to church, so get ready for first service. Also, you don't have a car this weekend, so you're going to be at first, second, and third service. None of it. I was free to do what I wanted, and I took massive advantage of it. I didn't go to church once for my entire one year of college that I went. I was at home. I was by a ton of pot, drinking a ton, partying with the baseball team, living like living the sports athlete life, which is garbage, by the way, if you're wondering. Um, and basically just sleeping around, doing anything I wanted to do. And the Lord, I remember one day, praise the Lord for my dad. He's so awesome. Drives up, and I was living in Oregon City at the time. It's about like 45 minutes south of Portland. And we lived um, northwest corner of Oregon. So it was about a two and a half hour drive from home to get to me. The Lord just put it on his heart to come see me. He's like, hey, do you want to do coffee? Are you free for a weekend? And I was in such a low spot and just like needed family. And I realized it. And the Lord was like, I think, nudging me in that direction. I was like, sure, come on down. I'd love to see you. Um, anytime my parents came down, it was like Amber Alert, like <laughs> clean the house, throw that away, throw that away hide that. Um, it was just ridiculous. Like all the boys chipped in and the house was just minting. So clean. You'd never know. Um, so he comes down and he meets me and I remember he just looked at me and he's like, Josh, how are you, how are you doing? How are you? And I think it was all over my face, just depression and lowliness and just living in sin and that lifestyle. I don't know if you guys have like, if you know somebody who's in that lifestyle and you just have a heart to heart with them, you can see it. It's palpable. It's like, hey, I know you're not doing well, but I'm going to ask you how you're doing so you can be honest with me. So my dad comes up and he's like, hey, how we doing? And I'm lying my, just lying my tushy off. And I remember he goes, okay, well, I love you. Um, by the way, there's a Bible college going on. Um, in Kauai, if you want to go check it out. And I just remember it was disgusting weather. It had been like raining, snowing, raining, snowing, sleet like for months. And I was like, yes, yes, please send me to Kauai. That sounds incredible. So I made a decision in that moment that I was like, okay, Lord, like I'm going to follow you eventually. And I'm going to do this eventually. And so, but I was like, but not right now. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Bible college but not right now. I'm going to keep doing my own thing. And that year was the worst. I played maybe four innings of baseball in that one year 
after working really hard and climbing the depth chart and being one of the top guys, throwing really hard as a pitcher. And I was like, I am the man. And the Lord just shut down. Every start that I had scheduled on, on the calendar was rain out, rain out, injury, rain out. And it just pushed me further and further down the list. And I was like, Lord, like you've given me this gift, this skill to play ball. Like, and what are we doing here? I can't do it. And so finally the end of the year rolls around and I'm like, okay, I guess this is it. Baseball was a strikeout. No pun intended. Um, I'm going to Kauai. I had one big last send-off party with the boys to say, if I'm going to go to Bible college, I'm going to get really cleaned up. So I went and just partied and did my thing and just got to a point with a drug and some alcohol where I had this almost out-of-body experience where I was just looked dead on the couch. And it felt like the Lord just grabbed me out of my body, put me in front of me. It was like, that's what you are without me. That's where you're headed. And it was, it rocked me. I was like, wow, Lord, I am depraved. I am lost. And so I went into Bible college and I'm so excited. And guys, when I tell you that the Lord met me out here, I had this crazy Mark class teacher. Just kidding. That was Steve. He taught Mark and the, the whole year was just incredible. The Lord took what was broken and I came in just as the pastor's kid and I put on my nice pastor's kid face but the Lord just ripped it down and he just put me out and exposed me in front of all of these guys who I had never met before. And now actually I have been groomsmen in their weddings. They've been in my wedding. I've been traveled and done so much ministry. I got involved with Makanalani um, during what was called U-Turn for Christ, or not U-Turn for Christ, on the edge. Um, and I got to minister to kids and see kids be saved. And the Lord did an incredible work in my life what was just a redemptive process was just like, wow, Lord, I went from complete fleshly living to, Lord, you've just changed my life. And it was incredible. And the Lord shaped me and molded me for that couple, like year and a half, almost two years that I was here. I got to do so many amazing things and the Lord changed me forever. And I was on top of the world spiritually. I was like, I can do no wrong. I'm doing ministry on the west side. We're like bringing kids in, letting them live in our homes, taking care of them, getting them off the streets, giving them jobs, working with them. And it was just up here, the ministry that I was with on the, at the time on the edge <laughs> exploded. <laughs> we had some things go down with leadership where it basically was like, we're leaving and you can either live here on your own or leave as well. And so all of us were literally like sweeping change off the floor to put gas in our tank to get to work. So all of us were like, I can't live here. We're all broke. So I went home and my life's been changed and I'm apologizing to mom and dad and I'm just ready to be on fire for the Lord. But I realized in that time, like I was just stoked on the circumstance and the people around me that were like propping me up and my walk with the Lord. And the Lord had to throw me back into all that junk or I threw myself back into all the junk that I just came from and had to realize, like, wow, Lord, like, I can't rely on these people to carry me. It is you. Got to myself again where I needed to, to be changed and <laughs> again and met again and ripped out of Oregon again. Um, and I got a job up in California and eventually came back out here where, guys, the Lord has done an incredible work in my life from a time where I never thought I would get married because of just the filth in my life and my mind and in my heart 
to preparing me for a wife and for a son and for ministry and getting back involved with McConnellani and ministering to kids and running a restaurant. And it's absolutely been nothing but the Lord every step of the way. And as I was reading through this tonight, how, hey, whoever is brought to the Lord cannot be snatched away. We're in him. He, we are his. That was an incredible verse for me because I just realized, Lord, like I have done everything in my power to walk away from you in every aspect imaginable, whether it was my attitude or what I put into my ears or what I put into my body or who I was with or what we were doing. I have done everything in my power to step away from you and do my own thing in my own flesh. And the Lord has been so faithful and I, guys, He's ripped me out of the junk so many times and said, Josh, you are mine. Philippians 1.6, he who has started a good work and you was faithful and just to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is true, guys, for you and for me. I'm sorry if that was boring or it didn't make sense or if I was all over the place, but wherever you are at, if you're in a season where, Lord, I don't see you, I don't feel you, I have had the spiritual highs and I've walked with you closely and I just can't feel like I can get back to that close relationship with you, I feel like the enemy just has a hold on me in this area and I feel like I'm just faulting in this area. He who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it. I've seen that in my own life. I've felt it and seen it personally and Jesus has spoken it over me so many times the only thing I wanted to encourage you guys with tonight is I don't know where that's at but if he has started a good work in you hey you are his my advice and I'm sure we've all had a ton of life experience here and we've all been through some things I wish to the Lord that I would have just submitted myself sooner and not just put myself through the junk to have to have that conversation with my wife, to have to struggle like not drinking on weekends. By the way, this is a while ago, guys. We're good. But just things like that that I'm like, Lord, I wish I would have just submitted myself to you and understood that I am yours. Trust in the Lord that when he says he has you, he has you. We can do our best to stray away and it's like that rubber band theory, I think Steve or my dad was talking about. It's like, you're his. You're tied to the rubber band. The farther you go, the harder, the more it hurts when you get snapped back closer to the Lord. Give up early. Guys, I hope it's encouraging. I hope that made sense at all. But my whole heart for tonight was I want you guys to fully understand and be encouraged that you are his. Submit yourself, submit your life to him. He is the bread of life. You will not hunger and you will not thirst when you say, Lord, you are it for me. The worst times in my life is when I've said, I'm, I'm it for me. I want to do what I want to do. When I say, no flesh, do your thing. The Lord wants that flesh to be killed daily, buried and put away with. He has so much more for you. I don't know where you guys are at, but to encourage you, don't be lied to, don't be discouraged, you're his forever and into eternity, amen. First Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, it's great, go read it. We have a future and a hope, there's an encouragement to look forward to, 
submit, kill the flesh today. I know it's hard. I know we live in a world where it's just pumped with garbage and grossness, and it's just in your face 24-7. Hey, abstain. Cling to the cross. Cling to Jesus. Push through. We have a blessed hope ahead of us. Amen, guys? We will not be bummed when we are in eternity and been like, I wish I would have done my own thing a little more. I would have had more fun. I would have enjoyed that. I think it's going to be the opposite. Lord, I wish I would have submitted to you sooner. I could have done more. We could have done more. And that's not like a guilt trip, but I know that's true for me in my life. Lord, I wish I would have just been yours sooner wholeheartedly. We fail and we blow it. There's grace for that. But let's pick each other up. Say, hey, we're running a race. Let's go. There's things to do. There's people to love on. Push forward and push hard for the gospel and for Jesus. Amen. Because you are his. You're not going anywhere. And he's not leaving you. Amen. Sweet. Father, thank you for this evening. Lord, I pray that you would just, whatever craziness or whatever I said came out of my mouth, you would just um, throw away the non-useful. And Lord, would you just keep what was useful? Lord, I pray that you would just encourage our hearts. Lord, help us to understand that we're yours. Lord, we can't be ripped out of your hand. Thank you, Father, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Jesus, that that's the Savior that we have. We don't have to worry. We're so fickle, but Lord, you are so faithful. Thank you, Jesus, for holding me through all of my junk and continuing to love on me and encourage me. Lord, I pray that you would do the same with those here. Lord, I don't know what's going on. I can't see the hearts and I can't see the lives of everybody here, but you can. Would you speak, Lord, gently to those here who may be struggling with that? Would you let them know in a loving, fatherly voice, Lord, that only you can provide that they are yours. They are loved. Jesus, thank you for tonight. I pray that it was honoring and glorifying to you. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.